So this little recording snafu had a small upshot to it, which is that about three minutes after you had to restart your computer or whatever thing you did, uh, Aaron set the smoke alarm off. So. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect timing. Yep. <laughs> Maybe just not in the cards. She for she very sheepishly peeked her head in the door and was like, "Sorry." It's like, "No, no, no." Grant messed up too, so we weren't even recording. <laughs> Grant messed it up first. Don't worry. Exactly. <laughs> I'm here for you, Aaron. I got your back. I I sensed it coming, so I I did it on purpose. <laughs> but yeah, so so back to the story that I was originally telling uh, that no one else has heard yet. Uh, I had good karma with disc mm-hmm. golf. I was out. Oh, good karma with disc golf. Tell me more. (laughs) Thanks, Grant. I will. (laughs) Yes, and. So uh, last weekend, I was out disc golfing, and I lost several discs, three to be exact. But one of them was much more frustrating than the other because it was basically a hot pink disc that I threw very straight into an area that seemed like it shouldn't have hidden a disc, yet I never found it. And that was very frustrating to me. So today I was out, and I threw a a particularly poor shot that uh, put my disc beneath a bush, and as I was kind of scrambling my way out of that, I saw someone else's disc lodged into into the roots of a nearby tree. And uh, they had their name and phone number written on the disc, so I took a picture of it and texted them and said, hey, you know, I I picked up this disc uh, just to confirm it's yours, whatever. And they said, yeah, leave it at the... uh, uh, ranger station at the uh, at the entrance to the park, and I'll just pick it up later. I thought, cool, that sounds good. So uh, I, after I finish my round, I I'm leaving the park, and I and I le- and I stop by the little entrance station, knock on the door, and I'm like, hey, person lost a disc, and they say, yeah, cool, you can just leave it here. And I said, well, also I was here last weekend, and I lost several discs, <laughs> and, and you know, I said my name or whatever. And they, oh yeah, you can just go look through the pile of discs here. And I and they just let me into the little into the little station at the entrance of the park, and there's probably like fifty discs just in piles on one corner yeah. of this counter. Their disc hoarding <laughs> area, exactly. Which I mean, I think that's really good that people find discs and just return them so nicely. Yeah, Even if absolutely. people aren't picking them up, it's good that that's sort of the mo of the park that everyone seems to be agreeing on enough to accumulate this many discs. But sure enough. In a in a pile near the front, I find my bright pink disc. I did not find the other two. I didn't expect to find the other two, uh, but I found my pink one, which is the one that I really wanted to have back. So uh, nice, yeah. And, and but so what I was gonna say at the start is, um, the disc that I found is called a destroyer. That's the name of the disc, and the disc that I lost is also a destroyer. So it was a real one for one swap. Mm-hmm. So I'm, nice. I'm pleased with that. What are the properties of the destroyer? What makes it so special? Uh, well, I can tell you in actual disc golf terminology if you care, or I can just joke around. Uh, I, gosh, I don't like, know I how actually invested know, you but are. I also want to hear your jokes. Well, I don't have any good ones. It would be really bad, and then we'd just move on, as opposed to me briefly explaining what are the properties of a disc in disc golf. Uh, okay. Give me the, give me the real, the real down low. Okay. So every disc, well, for the most part, I'm not sure if every manufacturer does this, but the main manufacturers operate 
by giving every disc four numbers to define how they fly. Okay? Okay. So the first number is speed, which roughly maps to how hard do you need to throw this or how fast do you need to throw it for it to do what it's supposed to do. And also correlated with mm-hmm. that is typically how far is this going to go. Mm-hmm. So a destroyer is known as a distance driver. It is the disc that it's a, it's a kind of disc that you would throw to try and throw it as far as possible in general. And mm-hmm. its speed number is 12 as opposed to a putter, which of course you aren't trying to throw very far. And the speeds of my putters are two. So just okay. to kind of give you the general range of range, I would say a, a Speed is typically around 2, and you could go all the way up to maybe like 14 or something. I'm sure some manufacturers have made one-off discs with higher speed. But you'll typically get stay in that sort of 2-ish to 12 or 13-ish range. Yeah. So that's the yeah. first number. The second number is, I believe, glide. And glide is kind of self-explanatory. It's just how well does this disc stay aloft? Um, how, how, how well does it glide on the air as opposed to just kind of dropping or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Does it float like a butterfly? That's right. Uh, so a destroyer has a glide of five, which is typically the maximum number that you would see. Okay. So it, it, it stays aloft very well, which pairing with you trying to throw it very hard and it cutting through the air very well as a distance driver means that it can go pretty far. Again, versus a putter where the glide, well, a putter isn't necessarily a great um, comparison, but like a putter could have a glide of like two or three, maybe. Um, you could probably get ones with lower glides, but it's typically in like a zero to five-ish range. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third number is turn, which is out of your hand in the first sort of like the first 75% of when you throw it, let's say, at the correct speed, which way does it have a tendency to go left or right? Um, so if you throw, if you're a right-handed person throwing a disc backhand, if you typically throw just like a frisbee, um, you would expect throwing a backhand as a right-handed person, the disc is typically going to kind of go off to the left. Like you can try and throw it straight, okay. but at yeah. the end it tries to fade off to the left. And in general, that's what it's going to do, right? Mm-hmm. So turn is is measuring how much does it actually, can you make it go over to the right prior to it doing whatever it does at the end? Mm. Okay, so a turn of zero means it wants to fly pretty straight. And so if you throw it straight, it will stay straight. If you throw it with a little bit of angle to the right, it'll probably hold that line pretty okay. Um, A turn of negative one, which is what this destroyer has, means that if if you throw it on a completely straight angle, like completely flat out of your hand, Mm -hmm. ideally, uh, at speed, it will start going to the right a little bit. Okay. It'll like flip itself to follow an angle more to the right. Mm. Um, and then the final number is fade, which measures how far off. So again, for a right-handed backhand, let's say, how how much does it want to then come back to the left at the very end of its flight? Mm-hmm. Right. So this has a fade of, I think it's like th- two or three. So, so all that means is if you throw it really hard, 
then it will stay in the air well. It'll start going off to the right a little bit, <coughs> which ends up actually giving you a little bit extra distance, and then it'll fade back to the left at the very end and land. Hmm. Um, you can get discs that have like a really negative turn. So I have one that are or more negative, so I have one that's like a negative two, which means that even if I throw it with a tilt to try and make it go to the left, it'll turn itself to be straight or even going off to the right, even if I try really hard to throw it to the left, and it'll keep going off to the right until the very end, and then it might, you know, settle up. So there's mm-hmm. discs with a lot of different characteristics for how they're supposed to fly. Hmm. And now you know. Now this is making me think of all the science that must go into disc engineering. Yeah, I don't, I I know that there are definitely people who can kind of like look at a disc and look for clear characteristics of the disc that kind of tell you, oh, what are, what is this likely going to do? They wouldn't be able to tell you exactly because it's very, like there's very fine differences, but they Mm -hmm. could kind of point out some of the clear things. Like I think a disc that is more flat is more likely to not turn to the right. It's more likely to want to go to the left immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't know the physics why, but that's what I've been told is true. And and that seems to match up with discs that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. And there's also a whole thing of uh, if you've seen like disc golf discs, the rim is very different. Like they yeah. tend to have like almost like a come to a point around the edge. Mm-hmm. And then the where you hold it, there's like a thickness to them underneath depending on how far you're supposed to throw them so a putter is very much like an ultimate frisbee it's almost like vertical kind of thick um, when you reach the Mm. edge and it's very thin Mm. on the edge so you get your whole fingers underneath there the distance driver it would be easier like i could like send you a picture or something you could look it up but it's like it comes to an edge underneath it is like probably an inch of plastic Mm-hmm. forming like a, like a thick rim Ring. underneath yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's what gives it a lot of glide it has a higher moment of inertia or whatever the heck it's called uh yeah what indeed yeah so in, in either case that that's the that's the destroyer i really i also just really liked the disc like it's one that i learned how to throw pretty well um, mm-hmm. and i can throw it far which is always fun so <laughs> I didn't really have anything else that could sort of match it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm planning on going again tomorrow morning early uh, because today was very hot and sunny. Like I was I was roasting out there Uh, because once you're away from the water, which I was, it's about an hour north of the bay. So you're you're inland from the ocean and not Mm. near the bay. And it was like 85 degrees. And uh, there's not too, especially once you're out of the first few holes, there's almost no shade. You're basically in like rolling prairie hills. Yeah. So you're just kind of stuck out in the open with the yeah. sun. And, and, I, and I was out there at like noon or one or something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was about as hot as it was going to get. So, yeah. I'm going to go and try and get there around like 7 or 7.30 instead in the morning. Wowza. Try not to get a sunburn, buddy. I already did this weekend. Oh, come on. You got a double layer. Reapply every 10 minutes. <laughs> it was it was certainly my fault for not applying almost any sunscreen. I thought I was being careful. You didn't I thought lube I was up at all. 
Oh, I thought I was in the shade enough, and it turns out I wasn't, so. <laughs> this wasn't from today. This was from Friday. Rookie mistake. It was. But that's life, you know? Is it life, though? I didn't get sunburned today. <laughs> it's certainly a part of my life right now. Okay. Actually, I don't think I really got sunburned today. I was wearing a hat. Um, oh, I that's, put on... that's very good. It actually is. It was much better wearing yeah. a hat. Uh, no, I'll, I, I'll I was wearing a hat, and that. I put on some like face sunscreen um, to start, at yeah. least. Okay. Yeah. Could have been Maybe worse. my forearms, but my forearms are, yeah, they seem fine. I'm poking, I'm poking at them right now. Mm-hmm. They, they seem okay. Mm-hmm. But my forearms typically don't get very sunburned. I think we've talked about this before, but do you ever just like suddenly notice randomly sorry this is totally random Mm -hmm. that you just like have a bruise somewhere and you're like how the heck do i get that bruise (laughs) not super frequently this actually happened to aaron i think a week or two ago like it was a really big bruise and i don't think i still think we don't know exactly what happened i could be forgetting but i'm pretty sure we never quite figured out what happened but yeah i've I've had that happen uh it's it's uncomfortable (laughs) keep finding bruises all over the place and it's like what the heck what am i doing am i like secretly an <laughs> underground like mma fighter or something and i just don't even know it like is that what i do is that why i don't get very restful sleep because like i'm actually just sleepwalking and doing underground mma fights i think it's more like that maybe you're sleepwalking just running into your copious amounts of furniture and or woodworking equipment yeah that could be well. One of my mystery bruises, I did figure out what it was, and it was because of woodworking oh. stuff. Okay. Um, What'd you do? But it was just like it was an odd placement, and it was. I only noticed it when I tried to woodwork when I had it, and then I was like, ah, I do keep hitting that on this one spot. Hmm. So it was almost like a rep- a repetitive stress thing on your muscle of sorts. Yeah, it was on my shin, and I didn't notice that I kept oh. like kind of bracing my shin mm-hmm. against something, but like kind of pounding into it lightly Mm -hmm. and so i guess just like the repetitive action of that the previous day had like put a bruise there and then when i tried to do it the next day i was very aware of suddenly that this happened and i had no idea that i like was doing it sure that's interesting i i'm sure i've had stuff like that that does sound familiar particularly places where there's not a lot of muscle and you get almost like a sort of bone bruise randomly Mm mm-hmm that can be very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I, I don't get too much of that really nowadays with the with the places that I go and the things that I do. I'm much more likely, especially with disc golf in this place that I go to, is getting scraped up in random places. Uh, well, not so random, mostly around the legs, but I did randomly. I finished a hole, and I don't remember how, but I just now have this one very long scratch on my right bicep. Ooh. And I have no idea how it got there, but I'm looking at it right now, and it's probably like a good four inches long. <laughs> Yikes. And I have no idea what caused it. Maybe you got attacked by a cat. It could be. Maybe it was a very fast cat. Like a like a flash cat. Yeah. It's probably more likely a tree branch, but that's Maybe a little a, less sexy. A cat tree. Maybe. Or, uh, uh, what are the... Okay, Please cut this out if this isn't a thing. But aren't there like, like, pussy willows or something? Isn't that a tree or something? Or like... uh, it is a plant for sure. Okay, it's a plant though. I'm not just like making up something, right? 
Uh, Pussy willow is a name given to many of the smaller species, blah, 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 blah. Um, Yes, they are small trees of sorts. Okay, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, it looks like... I mean, they, I, they're calling them trees. They look more like... It, it seems like some people are also using them to refer to cattails. Mm. It's unclear. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be a, a similar. Mm-hmm. But on a tree, as opposed to as, like, a reed, which is probably what a cattail is, technically. Mm-hmm. But no, they look kind of soft and friendly. I don't think that gave me a scratch. However, there were long stretches of kind of this... this I'm going to call it a grass. It probably, like, um, botanically mm. is technically a grass. Mm-hmm. and uh, Yeah, grass. I know what you're talking about. And it wasn't super thick walking through it, but it was very dry. And the way that this particular grass uh, seemed to distribute its seed is by having very, very pointy seeds that just stick into you, particularly my shoes. Oh, and they oh, would eventually, yeah. like, I tried it notice them when they were like stuck into my shoe but sometimes they'd work their way to my sock or whatever and they'd be like inside yep. my shoe mm-hmm. and i and all of a sudden i'd feel this very very sticky or like sticking like poking feeling very uncomfortable like in between my toes and several times i had to like take off my shoes before a hole so i could deal with this mm-hmm. so i have that to look forward to tomorrow <laughs> you should wear jeans and have rubber bands to put around the bottom of them (laughs) i'm not gonna wear jeans i probably will wear long pants tomorrow i did that the first time i went to this place yeah Uh, i just did it today because i knew it'd be way too hot yeah you gotta bring a rubber band for the bottom of them too i I don't think i'll do that grant if i cared enough i'd I'd buy long socks but i'm probably not gonna do that either (laughs) okay sorry sorry to disappoint it's fine. You can crush my dreams and goals. Maybe, maybe That's I could what get like for, extra, isn't it? extra long cable ties, like Velcro cable ties. That would be a better look than rubber bands. Are you serious? No way. Yeah. Fake news. <laughs> <sighs> I hope people are past saying that. Don't contribute to the culture grant. <laughs> Why not? Because... Oh, so th- this isn't normally a thing for this podcast, but I'm going to I'm going to say cuz it's it's a recent thing. It's a, I kind of messed up with my phone. I wanted to put a beta of Android 12 on it and I did. But there is an issue with doing that in that some apps just didn't work. And particularly mm-hmm. the two apps that I discovered didn't work were email, which I could ah. probably get around. It's a little inconvenient, but it's you know, wouldn't be a big deal. But mm-hmm. honestly, the most annoying one was the app where my baseball tickets are. Mm. And I would try to open it and it would like open up, go to a go to a white screen and then just crash. And that was problematic because the only way to get tickets anymore mm-hmm. is through that app. There's literally not another way. I um, <laughs> hate that so much. Uh-huh. You have no idea how annoyed it makes me. Hmm? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I just that, got real okay. livid. I, I'm, right I'm not. I'm not super against it necessarily, but it wasn't very inconvenient, and so it made me then want to revert away from the beta reasonably enough, and I did. 
but in but the only way to revert to the beta is like there is an official process but that official process like removes all the data from your phone and you have to restore Mm -hmm. it from a backup which i did but what i kind of forgot that was going to do is destroy all of my two-factor authentication things on the authenticator app and Mm. so i have to sheepishly send an email on tuesday to our it director and be like hey can you reset all of the security on these accounts because i kind of screwed up on my phone and i need to i need to restart from scratch (laughs) Uh because you can't remove as particularly one system you can't remove two-factor from it without using the two-factor that you have on it currently. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, but is unhelpful to me. Mm-hmm. So so that's my issue. Hmm. I'm a dumbo. I was, I was telling Ding Aaron how dong, Mark is dumb. the irony of, you know, you, you want to be the tech-savvy person, but then you start doing, like tinkering oh, yeah. around and then you break stuff in a way that you can't fix and then you have to be like i promise i know what i'm doing but i also broke it <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of just doing mm-hmm. the thing that i should have done which is nothing <laughs> oh yeah no i know that i know that feeling very well so for this evening mark brought nothing is not something by greg wallace and in the scene we have we have a an, a, a polar bear Sitting down in the snow, looking next to him at the dashing-looking emperor penguin who is holding a Valentine's Day-style heart box and some sort of flower that I assume is not native to the uh, Arctic or Antarctic regions where this comic is being set. And the polar bear is saying to the penguin, Thanks, Bill. This is sweet. But but it can never work out. I'm a polar bear. You're an emperor penguin. We're literally polar opposites. We're going to talk about relationships or the poles. The poles. Dang it. Why did you want to talk about relationships, Grant? No, not really. I just was wanted to see if you were going to push us there because I didn't think you would. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so, my first question, (laughs) what? I just read the top comic, or comment, polarized. Ah, yes, very cute. Better than, she gave him the bird. Oh, jeez. Which isn't quite true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so. God, oh my god, uh, episode 151. Whoa. You were on it. How did that get there? I don't know. <laughs> Gremlins. Uh, so, my question for you, Grant. Yes. Which pole would you rather visit? It's a wonderful question. I feel like the South Pole. Why so? I didn't put too much thought into this so far, so I might change my mind as we start talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I said the South Pole for the simple reason of it would make it possible for me to then have visited all seven continents at some point in my life. Hmm. That's fair. Get the hard Um, one out of the way. Yeah. And there's like, I feel like there's more stuff that goes on down there. Mm Hmm. Like there's more and there's bizarre. Oh, there's such bizarre like territorial claims down there. Fascinating. Mm Mm-hmm. 
You want to get in the middle of that? You want to stake your own claim? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. What are do you do you have any factors that you think I should be considering in this choice? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is yes, it is let's consider it wildlife and terrain or, or maybe just natural features. Mhm. Right? So that's one aspect. Another aspect is available amenities and other people mm-hmm. which you know there's definitely more people that go to antarctica there's a bit more of a tourist thing there mm-hmm. um and, and that could be a benefit depending on your whole personality and what and what you're looking out of a trip to one end of the world uh, <laughs> uh, some may consider the north pole more more intriguing because of that but um uh, let's see what other factors are there because I feel like going to either poles, it's remote enough, at least for me, that it's like, okay, I'm good. Well, in theory, but I think if you were to go to Antarctica, the default at least would be with a group of people. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to freaking go to either of them alone. Well, I know. Like, but... I'm good at surviving, but not that freaking good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fair enough. You got too much faith in me, buddy. Yeah, I am realizing that I don't actually know much about what's at the North Pole, if anything, or why not much is there in the first place. Actually, I'm going to change my answer. I want to go to the North Pole to free all of Santa's slaves. Hmm. Good answer. Free the elves. Santa's a, a, I don't know, are elves a different species? Santa's a speciesist, evil person. Well, this is the funny thing about Santa's elves, is that they are, in my mind at least, obviously very distinct in every way from more traditional let's call it lord of the rings style elves like high fantasy elves yeah like i like the elves of of uh santa's workshop are like you know they're keebler elves they're they're tiny little forest dwelling creatures uh who uh, are almost more like like i don't know yeah tiny industrial hobbits basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are Santa's elves immortal? Um, I'm not sure that's been delved into in the canon that I'm aware of. If we consider yeah. every Christmas movie ever canon, <laughs> which I do. Okay. <laughs> I think that there is a, a Christmas cinematic universe in which all <laughs> Christmas movies must logically fit into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, are you ready for phase five of the Christmas cinematic universe, Mark? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I heard I heard uh Rudolph is gonna be succeeded by Dancer. Oh gosh. Is, is Dancer a reindeer? And is Prancer's that a re- really upset about it. <laughs> yeah, Prancer is pissed. Prancer <laughs> wants to steal his nose. It's gonna get bloody. I would guess that elves are immortal enough. Let's call it. Okay. As immortal as Santa, maybe? Yeah. Because Santa has to be immortal. No, 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 no. Remember, everything's canon. Santa's not immortal because that's what the whole, that's what the movie The Santa Claus with Tim Allen is all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that his sort of whole deal is immortal because it gets passed on. Like there's a curse of sorts. And I don't think that's how elves maintain their immortality. So it's like the the Dread Pirate Roberts or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes, good good okay. call. 
<laughs> I'm proud of I'm proud of that reference. I'm proud of myself. Well, I think the funniest thing of that is the like uh, imagine someone who's just unfamiliar with Christmas as like a whole thing, which obviously exists, but they are familiar with the Princess Bride, and that's how you explain Santa Claus to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I I think well, what's funny about when when I think of elves, um there's two uh, ways that I think of elves. I think of elves from Elf and, and and the sort of repercussions of that whole situation where clearly elves age, but very slowly, which we expect. That's kind of that that is mm-hmm. I guess in common with high fantasy elves. And I also think of um the elf Hermie from the claymation Christmas movies who wants to become a dentist. Oh yes. Uh and <laughs> uh that 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 is also very interesting. And and does imply uh some greater awareness of the world. So I don't know. Now I feel like we should explore this Christmas cinematic universe. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how much awareness of the outside world elves had like do elves know like Galileo like do they like read like old science like well I suppose this is the question right if they make all these toys they have at least a lot of incidental knowledge the question is are they are they instruction followers or actually skilled engineers mm-hmm. like are, are they in R&D or just manufacturing yeah. that's un- that's that's made very unclear to me and I if would- they're in if they do have R&D, like, does that mean they have their own, like, branches of sciences? They're, like, their own, like, moon phases and stuff? Hmm. Like, their own, like, moon science? Like... Maybe they're the ones who actually knows whether the moon is made of cheese. Yo. What if it is? Hmm. That's something Galileo never talked about. Well, I, so I, I think we need to... I, I want to get us back on track here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to define the track as the Christmas Cinematic Universe. I think that's very important. Uh, the the MCU begins with the Iron Man movies. Not not all in order. I think there's. I think it's Iron Man one and two, and then something else comes in. Maybe one of the Thor movies or something is released before Iron Man three. I don't really remember. But we start with Iron Man, right? Mm-hmm. As this sort of linchpin of the whole thing. Who is that for? the uh, christmas cinematic universe is it an elf is it a reindeer or is it santa related like or is it a santa related human of sorts or someone totally different what if it's a not nightmare on home street what's the (laughs) The nightmare for christmas jack skellington (laughs) no no what's the the dude who like was gonna die but then got to see like his oh ebenezer scrooge Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, so what I'm thinking of is like it's a, a modern ad- adaptation of it, though. Like, there's like a dude on a bridge who was gonna like kill himself, and then like the whole Ebenezer Scrooge thing happened to him, and then he decided that life is great, and then he goes to Christmas. Or maybe I was making up this movie in my head. It's like a black and white movie, I think. Oh, is that like a, a Beautiful Life or something like that? Oh, maybe with Jimmy Stewart or whatever. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets swings. Is that the one you're thinking maybe, of? Maybe. It's no, 2011. Uh, what? You said it was black and white. Oh. But it's not old. No, when you search a beautiful life, the first thing that comes up is a 2011 uh, Chinese movie. Well, okay, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. 
Um, it's not like it's a wonderful world or something. What is it? What is it? Why can't I remember uh, Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie? Oh, it's a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life. There we go. It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, that one. Is that yeah. the one that you're thinking of? Yeah. Yep, that's Yeah, he I'm gets into of. like horrible debt and he's going to kill himself and then a random guardian angel gets sent down to try and fix the whole mess. Yes. Yeah. Um interesting so you're thinking that he is the linchpin of all this he's our iron man oh i was just thinking like earliest chronologically oh well we don't care about that that's not even the earliest like iron man isn't the earliest chronological movie in In the mcu in terms of so it's the earliest release date in the in the real world that we live in but it doesn't take place earliest well i think this one's got a pretty early release date yeah but so does like rosebud which has sleds and stuff. It's probably yeah, a kind of a Christmas Rose movie. Blood. I've never or Citizen Kane, um, is what it <laughs> wait, is. Wait, Citizen Kane? Isn't that like a? He says Rosebud. He likes sleds. Nineteen forty-one. It's earlier than It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Is it's it... got to basically be a Christmas movie because it has sleds and stuff. Is it? I have never actually seen Citizen Kane. I'm I mean, very it, does, sorry, it isn't actually. I'm, like I'm joking. It's not. Dark it, movie. Okay. <laughs> I was like, how told me this is a Christmas movie? I thought it was like something dark, like murder and stuff or something. Oh, Miracle on 34th Street is actually later than It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, by one year. See, It's a Wonderful Life is Iron Man. Okay, but but this is the... Th- okay, okay. Okay, Maybe no, no, can, no, no, I, well, no, no. I think I can't buy this. I can't buy this because I was thinking, right? Aaron and I were just watching Captain America, which I believe is the movie that takes place the earliest chronologically within the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think for Christmas movies, at least the ones that I'm currently aware of, the the one that I'm thinking of would be, um, gosh, what is it? I can't remember the name of it. I'm, I'm going to look it up. But it's a claymation movie about Chris Kringle. Okay. And he, is, he ends up in some town... Um, run by a very kind of German-sounding fellow called the, uh, Ber- what is it, Burgermeister Meisterburger or something like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, who's very upset and doesn't like toys. And so Chris Kringle keeps, um, you know, putting toys in kids' stockings, all this sort of stuff. Like, it's just a claymation retelling of how Santa became Santa in, like, a, in the Germanic tradition. Mm-hmm. Um. So that could be our sort of Captain America is is the origin story of of Santa Claus, Captain Christmas himself. So that that is interesting. Maybe maybe Iron Man as a symbol is all of these uh, real Scrooges, Scrooge himself, and Scrooge like characters. Mm-hmm. I could buy that. And instead of telling, well, actually, that kind of is what the Iron Man movies are. It's like every single movie is like Iron Man turning over a new leaf in some way. And then the next movie, he's kind of back to being the same asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Him never really growing that much. Until the end. Aww. No spoilers. <laughs> really? Really. Well, I think I think this has some legs. I think... We will have a movie pitch before long. Uh, this is I think not we at need all to buy I... the rights to the Christmas cinematic universe. I think that's what we need to do. I think this podcast is established as us uh, 
creating that intellectual property as a as a mm. it's like a it's like a meta art art piece mm-hmm. you know like you can in the same way that there's the uh dadaist painting of just a recreation of the mona lisa except she has a mustache mm-hmm. uh called i think it's called lhoq uh we're doing that sort of a thing except for this sort of meta commentary on all media related to christmas mm-hmm. hmm. yeah because we're artists Ex- expect expect our results dear listeners by this christmas certainly <laughs> obviously clearly just because I want to, I want to throw out what I was actually thinking about talking about for this segment, uh, but I just decided that this was much more fruitful. Do you uh, remember learning in probably eighth grade science, or maybe just from something else, about how the Earth's magnetic field just changes polarity yes. every so often, and we're just sort of waiting in this very long period of time for it to happen again? Yep. I was I was just going to have us talk about creating a disaster plan of what we would do given <laughs> that happening in our lifetime. Mm. But I won't I won't even necessarily keep that comment in the show. I just wanted you to know. That I I'm probably glad you didn't bring that up cuz I would have had a bunch of pedantic uh objections to the concept. Grant has brought Big Top by Rob Harrell. We are Faced with a few circus creatures, I will call them. One is a clown. One is a monkey of sorts wearing a sort of stereotypical hat. Like a like like the sort of hat you, you see yeah. on the monkey yeah, from Mark? Indiana Jones in, when it's a, the monkey in Egypt, I think. Okay. Um, I don't know what it's called, though. But you can probably <laughs> picture it. And a bear, I believe, is what we determined this creature was many moons ago when we first saw this comic. Yes. Uh, So these three characters are standing in front of a table where there is a pigeon or dove or something. And the monkey is saying, I'm teaching Stucco some magic to spice up his show. And the bear says, cool. And the monkey pointing at the bird says... Let's show Wink your trick. Turn the dove into a vase of flowers. And the clown raises his hands above the bird. His eyes go all wonky and spirally in the comic. The bird goes poof. And we see a fully cooked, very tiny bird piece. Like a like a full roast bird type of thing imagine a roast turkey but very very tiny Mm -hmm. and uh, the monkey covering his eyes exasperated says no more magic before lunch and the bear excitedly is saying do a chicken do a chicken (laughs) yes (laughs) do a chicken mark no i was actually going to ask you about your thoughts on the on on magic Hmm. And what do you think, I guess particularly, what do you think about today's day and age of, I feel like magic is, I don't know if it's people have changed or just the accessibility of some information has changed. Because I feel like nowadays when someone sees a magic trick, it's becoming increasingly common that the reaction isn't, oh my gosh, that's so cool. It's, 
oh my gosh, let me get my phone so I can Google so I know how to do this because I don't want to be bored or I don't want to like not know how this works. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think it depends on the trick. Um, certainly tricks, like if you were to... If let's I were to let's come not up, call it the trick. Let's call it the magic. Okay, the magic. If the magic that I'm doing is so clearly pedestrian or particularly math related that there okay. is an answer then yeah. it doesn't wow you like it did when we were kids because when you're kids you're kids you're dumb and magic and all types of magic worked well on you mm-hmm. and and growing up i was very into magic i had various magic books i tried to learn various card tricks but not slate of hand things things that were procedural that you could always do yeah uh, because that's much easier to accomplish because it's always going to work as long as the setup is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still am very intrigued by magic. But in particular, I, I like to watch clips of Penn and Teller Fool Us, mm-hmm. which is just, it's just awesome. Like I, I love what Penn and Teller have done to magic be- because people are very skeptical or just not super intrigued by magic because they're like oh yeah cool you did a trick and so the tricks have to become much bigger or more self-aware and and Penn and Teller do that so well in like both small scale and big scale they're so good at you know their whole thing is showing you the trick but it's still being a trick like showing you how to do it but it doesn't matter because you still can't see it Mm -hmm. like for anyone who isn't aware of this go look up Penn and Teller doing the balls and cups routine with clear cups. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. You can try to follow it. People who are really good at magic obviously can. People who know the routine. But that doesn't make it less of a of an accomplishment, I think. Mm-hmm. Because it is a... What I love about good magic is it's almost like a living optical illusion... But not not an optical illusion, but like a living. I mean, that's why it's, you know it's illusion. Uh, but it's 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 this sort of living, active thing that messes with how your brain works. Like that's what it is. It is it is figuring out where all the blind spots are in the human mind, mm-hmm. and just drilling into them in ever more complicated ways. That's just really pleasing. Like there is always going to be people with bad attitudes. Who are like, oh, that's just dumb. Oh, cool. Then don't watch it. You know, you don't need to come into my comment section and tell me that you don't think it's cool. Yeah, whatever. I find mm-hmm. it cool because it's just a cool accomplishment. Like, it, it's just awesome. And, and there are lots of really good examples out there of even just straight magic, especially on Penn and Teller Fool Us, because that's where you can get this very concentrated dose of really good tricks mm-hmm. uh, that are great. In particular, the one that comes to mind, which is continually my favorite is a magician named Shin Lim, uh, L-I-M, and he does this trick. It's very serious. It's very beautiful. But one part of the trick is he makes the Sharpie disappear. He, like, writes something on a Sharpie, and he, like, does this little thing with his wrist, and the Sharpie is gone. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot more to the trick. That's not the point of the trick. It's a card trick with a lot of smoke, and, like, it's really cool. Uh, and... Uh, and the comment that Penn and Teller make is like, yeah, this is cool. We caught a couple things, but we still like and, and some stuff we didn't catch. Like you totally fooled us and we still don't know how you got rid of that marker. At the end of that, even with the little moves that I saw, I felt it was perfect. And as Teller said, 
We didn't even know how you vanished the <laughs> marker. <laughs> like, it's just so good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. even just little things like that, you're like, goodness, that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I'm all for magic and people learning magic. I think it's really cool that uh, it's it's done in this way and has reached such a level of, I don't know, just ability. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. Nice. Maybe someday I'll go to a magic show in Vegas or something. Yeah. As long as See. I don't have to be a volunteer. <laughs> well, you don't want to have your underwear pulled off of you magically? No, not really. 